Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.2 FM in Zanin. So, Johan Mohaber is a senior researcher at the Agricultural Research Council, an ex- uh, expert as well on weather systems. And uh, I just want to just welcome uh, Dr. Johan uh, Malherber on the show with us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Dr. Malherber. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure. Can we just start here? Help us with the understanding of what El Nino is. Okay, good. So uh, I think from a South African context, it is quite quite good to know there's a strong association with the global climate system. And when we think of La Nina and El Nino, those are the two different modes, basically, of what our climate system is, as represented by temperatures in the Pacific Ocean. Okay. So, so let's say, yeah, if the waters in the Pacific Ocean near the, near the equator are quite cool or cooler than normal, usually... That is also associated with wetter weather in certain parts of the world, which includes the South African summer rainfall region. So that's La Nina. And the, the opposite of that is the El Nino, when the water at that same area is somewhat warmer. And then typically we will have droughts in South Africa, as we had in 2015-16. I don't know if you remember that. Hot I and do dry remember. Summer. Yeah. Yes. That was just a complete opposite mode of the entire global climate system. How long in advance are we aware of, of the fact that we've, we're headed towards a La Nina or an El Nina? Uh, using the typical uh, climate models, which are used to predict these kind of things, they, they cannot really say more than, let's say, six, seven months ahead. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for, in our case, it is important to know what is going to happen during our midsummer, mm. because that is the time when we get the most rain or the, the biggest droughts over the summer rainfall region. Now, uh, they, they have something called the spring barrier for forecasting the El Nino in the northern hemisphere where they do make these forecasts. Mm-hmm. That, that lies around uh, the, the summer of the northern hemisphere, which is around July. So usually before July uh, or, or May, you'd say May, June, July, before that period, they, they, they rarely know what's going to happen during our summer, which is in next December. So it's a bit difficult. So you can easily say for a summer like this, for our summer now, the, the first good forecast uh, for a La Nina was around uh, August, September, October last year. So around our winter is the only time they really can say with confidence what is going to happen in our summer in terms of the global climate system. Mm. Now, for South Africa itself, it is not necessary that we will be dry in the El Nino or will be wet with the La Nina. Mm-hmm. So there are also some differences there. I can just say maybe one example would be in 2010. Then yes. all the models said it's going to be dry because in 29, uh, 2010, there was a, a strong El Nino. But during that same year, we had the outbreak of Rift Valley fever mm-hmm. because it was really wet over the interior. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, yeah. But most of the time, you will see the association. La Nina, usually wet in the summer rainfall region. El Nino, usually dry. Dr. Malhaba, how well do we communicate with farmers on the ground when systems like these are anticipated? Well, there are seasonal forecasts going out from the South African Weather Service. And I believe the Department of Agriculture do do give out that information through extension officers. So they will communicate with the farmers and say, okay, the, these are the latest forecasts 
uh, in terms of the season that lies ahead. And then they will also usually typically give them, through the extension officers, uh, information about what uh, what would be preferable mm-hmm. uh, when you plan for the season ahead. Mm. So, so we're looking now at the aftermath, and I ask all these questions because I'm wondering, wasn't there something we could have done to prevent the kind of carnage that we see? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, if, if we had 100% confidence in the forecast, then we, there will be more assertive action. Mm-hmm. But it is not necessary, uh, let's say, that we'll, what happens will happen. Now, any farmer has a cost-benefit analysis to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't go, usually can't go 100% in yeah. for, on, according to forecasts. So they will have to weigh up their options. So usually you, you won't yeah, throw all your uh, eggs in one basket. And because of that, there will usually be some, some, some issues. Now, what could have happened this year is, uh, in the, um, let's say, when they said it's going to be a wet summer, probably be, uh, because the forecast models say it's going to be wet, mm-hmm. according to the climate system uh, that we are currently in the phase of the system, uh, then you would th- think of things to do like, okay, it's, it usually is wet over the summer and for region mm-hmm. during this type, type of season. So what needs to happen is you have to maybe look at the type of soil you're using uh, when planting. Uh, if there are areas that is easily uh, waterlogged, then those would be the ones that you would give less, uh, mm-hmm. let's say, emphasis in your, in your uh, management for the next season and, and rather concentrate on areas with well-drained soils, for, mm. for one example. The other thing is, think of what could happen during the middle and end part of the season. Uh, be aware of the type of uh, fungal pathogens and so forth that can happen during cloudy and cool weather. Those are the type of things that, that usually also go out with these kind of advisories that, that uh, focus on the uh, season ahead. I hear you, but where it concerns me and it should concern all of us is that we now find ourselves having to then subsidize the farmers because of the losses. We just can't simply afford it. I mean, one um, one such farmer that uh, I think uh, our reporters went to talk to um, got, what, 5,000 rand? And, and and they lost quite a bit. And, and there was an announcement by government to say they're going to give some sort of relief. But, you know, we, we need to find a way of being a bit more proactive if we're going to have to uh, also subsidize the kind of uh, havoc that we see. That is true. And I mean, uh, agriculture can in one year, uh, in one year uh, provide a lot of money to a community or to the country, and in the next, it can be completely different. Yeah. Now, this year was quite wet, and there were, uh, there were some extreme conditions in mm-hmm. some areas. And I think that is the one thing about agriculture. Uh, government should always, uh, and I'm not, uh, let's say, uh, the one who should tell anybody what to do in sure. this case. But but in, ta- in times when you have adverse conditions, it is good to have the support structures, but also to build resilience in the communities mm. uh, by having people, you know, usually um, not uh, cultivate on margin, yep. marginal lands and so forth. So that is the type of thing, uh, general management moving into the direction of resilience. Mm. And there are, as I understand, some programs for that. Um, but yes, if you if you don't uh, screen farmers in terms of what their plans are mm. ahead of a season, and I mean that cannot really happen always. Yes, sure. Then things like this will happen because for most people, farming is well. Let's try again. Uh, let's hope the weather plays along. Mm. That kind of mindset, and that is 
But I, I mean, all over the world, that is basically what happens. And I think one of the main reasons for this is seasonal forecasts still need to develop much more over the next few years to be really, uh, let's say, to instill confidence. Now, before you can, yeah, before you you, you can say um, it's going to be wet, it's going to rain so much, and we're going to have a flood in January. Nobody really can make too much use of the information with the forecast that says, okay, it can be wet, but it can also be dry. We're not certain, you know. So, so the type of decisions made on forecasts that are not more specific. And I think that will come along in future. Is, is this uh, a general... Not, yeah, so strong. I beg, your pardon. Yes. I beg your pardon. Is this a global problem that our forecasting is not as, 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 as advanced as we'd like it to be? Or is this mainly a South African problem? No, no, no. It's a global problem. I mean, South African... Uh, well, I'm, and I'm not part of the weather service, but, yes. but South, Af- uh, South African uh, forecasts and so forth, they are part of the global community sure. of model developers... Uh, specifically looking at seasonal, long-term, even climate change-scale uh, forecasts. Mm-hmm. So while we are part of the, the community, uh, every country has their own, let's say, um, predictability in terms of the weather. Yeah. Now, our predictability is not that bad because we kind of have this association with El Nino and La Nina. Yes. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, it is not a 100% direct uh, association. And for that reason, even... We have, we've had La Niñas that, that turned out to be quite dry in the mm, past. Mm, mm. So for that reason, uh, and until these forecasts become much more uh, convincing, I think it is also a bit difficult to expect uh, governments to buy in too strongly in terms of uh, giving definite or specific information on what to do during the season. But uh, still... As, for example, this past season, because I don't want to say you can't use the forecast, they are very much more useful than not using them. But it is always, uh, there will always be an advisory that will say, okay, we believe it's going to be wet, so we suggest you do these kind of things. Mm. And those advisories can be stronger in future when the forecasts become more conf- confident. Yeah. But for, for now, uh, and, and I mean, even the advisories given in this uh, summer, they would have been uh, very much beneficial for any farmers that would have uh, listened to it yeah. because, I mean, it turned out to be, as the forecast said, quite wet. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Malhaba, let me just take a quick break and I'll, I'll come back with uh, some voice notes as well as uh, calls. And, and I just want to, you know, just ask if you've been affected by the rains, by the heavy rains, if you're a farmer and you maybe are associated with farmers, you know, how badly have you been hit? 011-714-2006. You can also send us a WhatsApp note on 0614-104-107. You are listening to Life Happens on SAFM. My guest is Dr. Johan Malhaber, who is a senior researcher at the Agricultural Research Council and also an expert in weather systems. And uh, we're having a conversation on the back of really havoc after uh, El Nina, which is still a system, by the way, that's still going to be around. Uh, we'll talk to Dr. Malhaber about how long this system going to be around for. And, and it's affected uh, farmers in a major, major way here in the country. Uh, do we know, uh, Dr. Mal- Malhaber, how, how badly um, we've been hit by La Nina? Well, if you look at the rainfall that occurred over the country, many areas had above normal rainfall. So, so that is actually very positive. Now, many farmers will tell you they are much more happier with a wetter summer yes. than a drier summer. Yes. So for many farmers, this was actually a very good year, and we are expecting a very good, for example, the maize crop. Expect that to be a bumper crop this great, year. Great, yeah. 
Yes, based on all the rainfall that we had. So the areas that really received a lot of rain compared to their long-term means mm-hmm. are actually those central parts of the country, mostly so the southwestern parts, southern parts of northwest, into the eastern parts of Northern Cape and the western Free State. Now, that is very good news because mm-hmm. they were extremely dry uh, for, for a number of years. And the previous summers, they really had very late starts to their rain. Yeah. So they had very adverse effects that they had to deal with. And this summer was kind of perfect except for some... Some uh, other crops, yeah. I yeah, mean, water logging that happened and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, some areas of the country that really didn't uh, get that much rain are actually the southern parts and southwestern parts of the interior. And some of those areas have been in a drought for like five to ten to eight years. So it's been been very dry over many of those areas. Mm-hmm. And while some of those areas had relief, they are still dry. Some, some of the other areas in the southwestern, let's say, quarter of the country. These the systems that we, we're speaking about, uh, how, how much will they affect food security, the pricing of, of, of food as well? Okay, so, so uh, well, I could just also mention we had this one tropical cyclone, Eloise, that mm-hmm. also caused some floods in some of these eastern areas, mm-hmm. Lowfeld and there's carbon. That is something that we also uh, are very much aware of. Now, in terms of our food prices, usually when we have more fruit produced in South Africa, like we have more maize this year than we would use, that is very good for us because there's a big difference uh, for us uh, in the price of food when we're producing ourselves, uh, whereas when we have to import that. So if we had to import uh, maize, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, like in 2015-16, that that kind of doubles the price. Yes, sure. So, Okay. Locally, I would say it had a very positive, positive. effect. It mm-hmm. gives our food prices lower. But internationally, there were some instances where the international production were adversely, uh, it was adversely affected in, so, in some places, like, for example, Brazil and mm-hmm. Argentina and so forth. And that had kind of an inflationary effect on the global prices. Now, our local prices are linked to the global prices. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, that then had kind of a positive effect on the prices, making it a bit more expensive. But overall, because we are producing a bumper crop this year so far, according to the estimates, uh, it seems like we're going to have more positive than negative uh, because of La Nina. Okay. So, so, I mean, obviously, there are those who are weeping and then, as you said, they are positive. So, in the the majority are those who are happy with the rains. Let's go to Colin, who's in Cape Town. Hi, Colin. Good uh, I almost said good morning. Good it's afternoon. It's been a while, Colin. It's okay. <laughs> good, day. good day, doctor. Um, I would like to know, um, as far as I know, our weather is red from Koch Island. You know what I mean? We've got a weather station there. But I've noticed in the last couple of months, if I watch the television, and we get our news on the television, uh, the weather, I assume it comes from Johannesburg. And it seems to be very inaccurate uh, for like Cape Town or something like that. But when when Radio Good Hope gives us the weather forecast in the mornings, they seem to be quite, quite accurate compared to what Johannesburg is telling us. You know what I mean? So I was wondering if each uh, uh, province haven't got like a weather station and, and uh, who knows the weather better than the Free Staters and who knows the better weather than Cape Townians and Johannesburg and things like that. So I was just wondering if each province had like um, their own weather well, I take it from Johannesburg, but they can more or less see it's going to rain in two, three hours. Like, I, like I, I can see when it's going to rain tomorrow from Cape Town here, when that north, north comes up. And I always tell my friends, within a day it's going to rain, and it does rain. 
but the but the television doesn't show us the rain in Cape Town. So I'm just wondering, you know what I mean? Uh, yes, okay, the, ma- the main, uh, let's say, producers of for the forecast in South Africa is the South African Weather Service. But certain TV channels do have their own division where they have their own weather team. That is true. But all these people in the weather world basically make m- mostly use of certain global climate models or weather forecast models. So they have all access to these models, and this is a way of interpreting the models more than anything else that will will uh, create differences in forecasts. So you would sometimes see on the one TV channel versus the next is about a three to four degrees Celsius difference in the expected maximum temperature for the next day, and that is just the way they interpret the same model or two different models, and at a different spatial resolution, maybe according to how they uh, downscale, I would say, or, or zoom into the data. So. So the one place or the one institution that gets all the data from Gough Island, from Cape Town, from everywhere, and they get surface and maybe upper air information and so forth, and they get the weather modeled uh, output. That would be the weather service in Pretoria. Now, they also have their offices, uh, regional offices, and they they will probably contribute to what the weather uh, certain radio stations would tell people. So that, that may uh, also cause a difference. But as far as I understand, and I don't work at the Weather Service, uh, there are some of these forecasts uh, that go directly from the Weather Service in Pretoria to the different radio stations, whereas other forecasts might go from the regional station, or uh, for example, as, uh, at the uh, Cape Town International or so forth, to the to the uh, or, or in Cape Town to the weather, weather uh, to the radio stations. So. Um, yeah, in terms of what, what what will cause those differences, that is typically just interpretation of the same type of data. I wouldn't say that uh, being in Cape Town these days uh, will benefit you that much uh, over being in Johannesburg for making a forecast for Cape Town. Because these days we have satellite imagery, we mm-hmm. have radar images and so forth, and they can tell you what the weather is going to do in Cape Town even when you sit in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. But let's say in the 1950s, that's being on, uh, you know, at the specific location, that would have made a bigger difference back then. Colin, does it satisfy you? Thanks very much. Thanks. I always, uh, I thought, you know, I wanted our uh, meteorologists, uh, the maths aren't up to standard or something, <laughs> they're reading it wrong or something like that, you know. But anyway, now I understand. Now you know. yeah. But as I say, um, the Cape Townians, we know when it's going to rain, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, we know. <laughs> and we know the southeastern blows, we're not going to see. Johannesburg is going to get the rain. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, thanks, Sakina. Uh, thanks, thanks, uh, uh, Colin. Thanks. So, so uh, Dr. Mahaba, I guess it talks to just how much do we tap into that knowledge system, you know, that very old knowledge system that Colin is talking about. Because, as he says, you know, if you've been in one area long enough and you've, you've been in the people in the area long enough, they'll tell you. We know <laughs> this is coming or not coming. Yes, and I think that's a very great thing to to to, to have to have that knowledge. Yeah. If you are located at any place in the world and you get to know your weather, uh, now casting is something that that for your specific area that very few places can do. Mm. For example, I mean we we do have now course looking at uh, radar maps and so forth at the weather service. I know they do that, and I know in, in some cases those might work very well, mm. but. But 
there's nothing like being on the ground and yeah. seeing the clouds, yeah. knowing that the wind is blowing into the storm, it's going to rain or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And for example, what, what also what Colin mentioned was the northwesterlies before the rain and the southeasterlies, then it should rain in, in the interior and not in the Cape. Yes. I mean, said, then they don't get rain in the Cape. And that is typical. That is that is a very typical thing of South African weather service, yeah. uh, of South African weather circulation. Yes. Because when you have a cold front in the Cape, usually you have dry northwesterlies and westerlies over the country and it doesn't rain. And when you have a high pressure system south of the country, it will cause strong southeasterlies in the Cape. Mm-hmm. And that will typically also be associated with rain in the interior because there usually is the upper air low when there's a strong high to the south or southwest of the country. Yeah. So those kind of things, they, they really work out well. And I think uh, we are in this information age and we get a lot of information and people can really be even more clever because now you can be a now caster at your own mm-hmm. location, but mm-hmm. you can also have access to satellite pictures or radar imagery and the latest model output. So you can really become quite... Um, uh, so, uh, somebody who knows what's yeah. going to happen much more even than only relying on what you see. Yeah, I've, I see your calls coming through. Anonymous, I see you. I'll come back to you in a short while. Prof, if you don't mind, I'm going to just take a quick break so that we can get to the headlines with Uzil and then I'll be back with your questions uh, uh, on WhatsApp as well as on, on telephone. Perfect. Here, there and everywhere. <laughs> SAFM 106.2 FM in Tohoyando. All right, we are discussing weather systems. Now we've moved to talking about weather systems. Here. This is on the back of really uh, some reports is talking about how uh, La Nina has really uh, just wreaked havoc for some uh, subsistence farmers in South Africa. And we're talking about how long the system is going to be. Dr. Johan Malheber has been very pleasant with um, at least trying to outline the very basics of what exactly La Nina is, El Nina is, and how it affects all of us. It's not all bad news. I mean, it sounded quite bad initially but it's not all bad. I will take those calls 011-714-2006. Anonymous, thanks for your patience. Good afternoon. Anonymous. Hello, good afternoon. Afternoon, Anonymous. Please switch off your radio for um, I just want to uh, make a comment now. Hmm. This thing of whether say of global warming, it's a complete hoax. You see, the thing is this, why I'm saying that because if you study the temperature, how many degrees in a hundred years the temperature went up. And if you see now the temperature now, it's completely normal. Because sometimes it was the little ice age, sometimes it was, it was hot, sometimes it was cold. So I don't understand why people speak that we are the problem here on earth, we must go green and all that. You know, God has created this earth. And if you read in Genesis, then you will see that it's completely normal. We are living in a disposable planet that will one day, if you read the Bible, you see how this planet will end. It with intense heat. Every element will burn with intense heat. We can do nothing towards the temperature to serve this planet. God will destroy this planet like he has destroyed it with water. It will this time around, it will be destroyed with fire, and we can do nothing about that. And that's nothing about global warming. This is the rich that will get richer that comes with this holy initiative of we are the problem on this earth. 
That is only what I wanted to say. Thank why, you. Why did you choose to be anonymous? Sorry? Why did you choose to be anonymous? Because I don't want people to hear my name and everything. Why? That's why. I mean, you believe it's so... Yeah, it's, just, it's my choice. No, we no, have a choice. It's absolutely, absolutely right. I'm just curious why you wanted to be uh, anonymous. I mean, you you are absolutely right. You have, you've got a choice to, to be anonymous. Um, we didn't speak about global warming, you know? Anonymous? Yes, I'm but we, we are speaking about, about the weather. Yes. We are speaking about the weather. You, you have a you know, comment? Uh, do, do, did you know you that to, everything that we experience now, yes. everything that we experience now, mm-hmm. um, if you look to Hollywood, Hollywood has actually forecast everything. And did you know they get something like manipulation of the weather to make us think that it's true that people are speaking? And they are lying to us. The whole, uh, 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 we are not the problem on this earth. We are not the problem as God has created for us this earth and we must enjoy the oil, the gold, everything that is for us. We are not a problem for this earth that they, that these rich people like Al Gore and all that people are telling us that they are flying around with planes that are using fossil fuel. Anonymous, they're calling us from Cape Town. Dr. Malhaba, no, I don't even yes. know if you want to respond to that. You don't I, have to, you don't feel like it. No, 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 I think it's good. I, I, I understand completely the sentiment there. And I mean, there is something called climate variability. So we can have extremes in climate only with, without people on this planet. That's true. So there, there were even warmer periods in the past. I mean, around the 1600s, apparently they could grow wines in the in, in the UK, which they can't do today because it's too cold. So so it's true. There are warmer and colder periods. And yes, we can live on this planet and enjoy enjoy what we get here, but we must also look after it until God burns it down. So so it's good for us to to also you know using those things sparingly, like the oil and the gold. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, over and above climate variability, there is a signal that, that extra carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will warm the planet. And that you can model with a weather model and so forth. So there is definite signs that it is getting warmer in the last 50 years. And while that could be a natural variability, we are able to model that through global climate models. And for that reason, uh, and may- many other reasons also, there is, a, you know, you can believe that the change is real. And... Uh, not saying that all change is bad, but the problem is they believe that the rate of change is somewhat higher than is good for us. Because these days, for example, if you're a giraffe in the Kruger National Park, you can't just move up the escarpment like you would maybe in the past if it becomes too hot in the low field, to, go, to, to just uh, name a very simple example. So because things can't move around that much, uh, a sudden temperature change is always somewhat inconvenient. And that's one of the main reasons we need to see from our side that we don't contribute too much to the natural variability that is already part of our climate system on, mm-hmm. on Earth. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Johan Malherber, who's a senior researcher at the Agricultural Research Council, as well as a weather expert uh, on weather systems.